Hey everybody, this is Hunter Howard. I'm the lead pastor of Encounter Church. Here at Encounter Church, our vision is helping people encounter God. And that's what I pray and hope for you today, that you will encounter God through this message. Enjoy. In those days when there was again, everybody say again, a large crowd gathered before him, that's Jesus, and they had nothing to eat. Come on, say again. Jesus called his disciples and told them, I feel compassion for the crowd. They've been with me now for three days and have nothing left to eat. If I send them away to their homes hungry, they'll faint from exhaustion on the road because, they, uh, because some of them have come a long way. Let's pause. True compassion feels and does. True compassion feels and does. What, what do I mean by that? True compassion feels concern for the needs of people and then strategizes to do something about it. Real compassion is more than mere pity, right? I mean, how often do we feel pity for people? And we see people in need and we feel pity for them but then we just keep on doing, going and don't really think about how could I possibly help? How many of us are glad that Jesus isn't like that? I'm so glad that Jesus saw me in my need, my need for forgiveness, my need for deliverance, my need for healing, my need for my brokenness to be restored. And he didn't just feel pity for me, but he strategized and came and did something about it. Compassion feels, but then it also does, right? That's why, for example, we feel for the needs of these children in Cuba that are hungry. But we've also strategized over the past few years about how to do something about it, about how to get them food and disciple them. And I could give you a list of many things that we've done as a church family, but let me say this, as Pastor Liz was saying, there's so much more to do. There's so many needy people, and we don't have to go to a foreign country, although we do missions. We don't have to go far away to, 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 to have a need for compassion, literally. Walk out this door, go to the grocery store, go to the gas station, go to your college campus, or go to your place of work. There are people that are in need, in need of Jesus. Their greatest need is Jesus, right? Jesus knew that their greatest need wasn't food. He, he, he talks about that later on, right? But Jesus felt their need for food, and then he strategized to do something about it. See, Jesus' heart... Towards people is compassion. Question, do I demonstrate his heart? I want you to ask yourself that right now. Maybe you even want to say it. Do I demonstrate Jesus' heart of compassion? Do I just feel pity for people? Or when it's possible for me to actually help, do I find out a way to do something? about it. Listen, we can't fulfill, we can't fill everybody's needs. <laughs> we can't help everyone, but we can help someone. Come on, I need to say that again because some of us really need to hear that. We can't help everyone, 
But every one of us can help someone, even if it's just sharing Jesus with them. Compassion feels and does. Now, before we read the next uh, passage, I want us to remember the word again. Everybody say again. Because just a few days earlier in Mark 6, or was it 7? 6 or 7, Jesus and his disciples had already solved this exact problem. Remember? We read about it already a a chapter or two ago. And Jesus had been teaching a crowd of, it said, 5,000 men, which, again, exegesis lets us know that this does not include women and children and most scholars would believe the crowd was at least 20,000 people that he fed all right so I want you to remember they just solved this problem a few days ago are we ready to read what's next his disciples replied to them where will anyone be able to find enough bread in this isolated place for, to feed these people. He asked them, how many loaves of bread do you have? I don't know if he said it that way, but I would have. They said, seven. He directed the people to sit down on the ground again, just like he had done a few days ago, right? And taking the seven loaves, he gave thanks and broke them and repeatedly gave them to his disciples to sit before them. How many of you are thankful we get to participate in miracles? Jesus didn't give them all the bread his disciples did, right? And they served the crowd. They also had a few small fish. Sound familiar? (laughs) And when Jesus had blessed them and given thanks, he ordered that these fish be set before them as well. And the people ate and were satisfied. And they picked up seven large baskets full of broken pieces of leftovers. About 4,000 men there besides women and children. So if it's the same proportion, about 16,000-ish people, right, including women and children, they were all fed, and then he sent them away. Look, we learned this same principle two weeks ago when we read Mark chapter 6, right? The same principle. When Jesus fed the 5,000 men or the 20,000 crowd, right, we learned this principle, Maybe you will remember it. God removes the limits from what is surrendered to him, right? When we give him what we have, rather than going, it's not enough, Lord. Rather than saying, it's not enough, God. We say, God, remember, God, I can't, but you can. So here it is. Come on, let's do that. Let's do that. Let's say, God, I can't, but you can. So here it is. When we surrender what we have, God removes the limitations from it because he is not limited to our limitations. In fact, God really doesn't get much glory when we have a lot to give. It's when we give a little That he makes it much. But we have to give it. We have to give it. We can't hold on to our seven loaves. We can't hold on to our fishes. We got to give it. Our limits are real. But let's not minimize God according to them. Okay. 
when we give all we have to Jesus, what does he do with it? He multiplies it. That's right. When we give what we have to Jesus. But how quickly we forget God's love and his power. They had just experienced this. I mean, it must have been fresh on their memory that just a few days before, Jesus had multiplied fish and bread and fed 20,000 people. And they got to pass it out. But they'd forgotten. It seems like they'd forgotten. Or I don't think they'd forgotten. They hadn't yet trusted fully in him. Maybe they knew he could do it, but I don't know if they trusted he would do it. If we, if we risk it again, will he do it again? You ever been there? If I risk it again, if I give it again, if I surrender again, if I obey it again, will he again be faithful? So rather they had selective memory, I don't think so. I think they simply had not yet come to totally trust in him and his goodness and his character and his power. See, often when we face a new challenge, we forget about how God brought us through the previous challenge. The key, here's the key. We always have to surrender what we have, and we always have to follow Jesus' instructions, period. That's how we do it. Surrender yesterday won't work for today. Jesus won't multiply what you surrendered two years ago. He's going to multiply what you surrender today. But Lord, back in the day when I first gave my life to you and I surrendered. Okay, good. Good. How many of you know I experienced this on a pretty daily basis? I got something to surrender. I have something to give, big or small. And I have to believe and trust that the one who did it before, he'll do it again. Amen. God removes the limits from what surrendered to him. Then, immediately he got in a boat. <laughs> with his disciples, and went to the district of Dalmanutha. The Pharisees came out and began to argue contentiously and debate with him, demanding, demanding from him a sign from heaven to test him because of their unbelief. It's not because they hadn't seen miracles, y'all. They had. That's why they were upset with him. They didn't believe. So they demanded, give us a sign from, in other words, give us a sign that we want to see. They had already seen signs, y'all. The Pharisees were angry at Jesus because of his signs. Because the signs were making people listen to him. And not them, huh? And they were demanding, you do something like we want you to do it. Right? 
It says Jesus groaned and sighed deeply in his spirit and said, Why does this generation demand a sign? I assure you and most solemnly say to you, no sign. <laughs> nope. No sign will be given to this generation. And leaving them, he again boarded the boat and left for the other side. Contrary to popular belief, y'all, God does not perform miracles to prove his power. He doesn't need to do that. He's God anyway. If God never again does a sign, a wonder, a miracle, he's still God. God, I know people believe this. I've even heard some Christians kind of hint at this, that God does miracles to prove his power to people who don't want to believe in him. And that's not true. He doesn't do that. I'm going somewhere with this. See, Romans chapter 1, go and read it. We don't have time. It tells us that God's power is on display through creation, right? Through the moon and the stars and the sun and the mountains and the ocean and the, the grass and the trees and the flowers and seeds that produce fruit and life. And the human eye. I mean, just think about the human eye. Like, somebody made that work like it does. And the brain and your pinky toe that you need for balance. I mean, the Bible says in Romans 1 that everyone is without excuse because God's power is clearly on display. Okay? God doesn't perform miracles and signs to prove his power to people that don't want to believe. People who refuse to believe, like the Pharisees, will not believe even if he does perform the sign they're looking for. Just ask Pharaoh. He refused to believe. Who is your God? Uh, the one that just, you know, turned the river into blood. Brought frogs up out. And locusts and all. All those signs. But Pharaoh didn't want to believe. You know what? In Luke chapter 16, 31, Jesus tells a story about a rich man and a poor man. And the poor man, you know, dies and, and goes to, uh, the rich man dies and goes to hell, right? And the, and the, the poor man dies and goes to heaven. And they're, you know, kind of talking back and forth. And, and he's saying, please send somebody here to, the, to hell, to this place of torment. So that, they, you know, that they can tell. Or send them to my relatives so that they can know the, uh, uh, the truth and not come to this place of torment. And. You know, and, and the answer is, you can't do that. There's an abyss. There's a separation. No, no, no. Well, send somebody to rise from the dead and go tell him. And Jesus proceeds to say, even if someone rises from the dead, if they won't believe the word, they won't believe even if someone rises from the dead and goes and tells them. Belief, faith, is about the heart. 
refuse to believe, and I say this, if you're a person who refuses to believe, listen, if you're waiting to see to believe, you'll eventually see and you still won't believe. Because it's not about seeing. It's about the heart. The Bible says that the only way faith comes is to hear the word of God. And when you hear the word of God, you've got to believe the word of God. That's how faith comes. It doesn't come through seeing signs. Why does this generation demand a sign? Basically, Jesus is saying, they wouldn't believe anyway. So, no sign for you. Because <laughs> he gave signs to others. <laughs> Do miracles sometimes help people believe? Absolutely, yes. I've seen miracles that have greatly increased my faith. But guess what? My heart already believed the word. Do miracles sometimes open people's hearts to hear the word? Yes. But what Jesus is saying basically is, my signs don't exist to prove you nothing. God does signs and wonders and miracles because he's God. And he can but mainly because he loves. This is important. The why. Everybody say the why. The why of Jesus' signs, the healings and the deliverance and the miracles and all that. The why was to love, not to prove. He healed sick people because he loved them. And he heals sick people today because he loves them. He fed these thousands of people because he loved them, not to prove anything. Because even the disciples, after seeing it, still didn't understand. Right? God, listen, this is, this is what I want you to get out of this more than anything else. God loves you. God loves people. The reason he does miracles is not to prove anything. It's because he loves people. Because he loves to show his love to people. It's because his compassion more than feels, his compassion does. The why of Jesus' miracles then and now. Careful. We lay our hands on the sick and we heal. We cast out demons and we deliver. Right? We pray and miracles happen. But it's not to prove anything. Careful with that. Because then when it doesn't happen, you're going to feel like, right? I didn't prove it. God don't need you to prove nothing. I'm sorry I said that so country. But God don't need you to prove nothing. God doesn't need a sign to prove anything. His signs simply confirm what's already true. His word. Amen? By all means, let's lay our hands on the sick and heal. Let's cast out demons. Let's set people free. But let's do it to love people, not to prove anything to them. Yes? Next time you pray for a sick person, remember... Jesus is going to heal this person because he loves them and cares that they're sick. Yeah? 
Let's keep going. <sighs> so he left them. <laughs> no sign for you, Pharisees. Bye. He boarded the boat again and left for the other side. Now, now the disciples had forgotten to bring bread. And they only had one loaf with them in the boat. Jesus repeatedly ordered them saying, watch out. Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. And they began discussing with one another saying, is it because we have no bread that he said this? Come on, somebody. You ever thought you understood something and then you realize I really didn't understand? And Jesus said, do you still not see or understand? Most important question, are your hearts hard or hardened? Because they did see. <laughs> Though you have eyes, don't you see? You've seen the sign, you still don't understand. Do you not hear and listen what I've said? Let's jog our memories a little bit, boys. Don't you remember when I broke the five loaves for the five thousands? How many baskets full of leftover pieces were left over? How many? How many? How many? How many apostles were there? Ah. And when I broke the seven loaves for the four thousand, how many large baskets full of broken pieces did you pick up? And they answered, and he was saying to them, do you still not understand? The answer is, obviously not. Because understanding requires a soft heart. Their hearts were not yet soft enough to take it in. On other occasions, Jesus said, I have more to tell you, but I can't right now because your hearts aren't ready for it. You're not ready to take it in. See, understanding requires a soft heart. I wrote a tiny little poem to help you remember this. We can see and hear crystal clear, but only a soft heart draws us near. See, they saw and they heard, but then Jesus said, your hearts are hard. Are your hearts hard? Don't you understand? Didn't you see? Didn't you hear? 5,000, 20,000, 12 baskets of leftovers. 4,000, 16,000, seven baskets of leftovers. You saw it, you heard it, but your hearts are hard. Come on, let's, let's read it together. We can see and hear crystal clear, but only a soft heart draws us near. We get the truth into our brain through our eyes and ears. But we get the truth to our heart through trust. I don't have to repeat everything we've already said. They hadn't yet totally trusted in who he was. And they were his team. <laughs> I mean, we're not even talking about the other disciples because there were many more disciples. We're not talking about the crowds that he fed. 
We're talking about his 12 boys, his teammates, the ones he was preparing to take over the world. Their heart needed to be softened, and that's why Jesus tells them, you have to become like children to really enter the kingdom. Could you just say today, Holy Spirit, soften my heart. Before we move to this last portion here, I want to give you a little bonus. Who likes bonuses? This is very, you probably picked up on it as we read. Are you ready? We're not ready? Poke your neighbor and say, bonus round. All right. It's very simple. And I just felt like I really needed to say this for, for some of you today. This is so simple, but it's very profound and powerful. God takes care of those who give their all to Jesus. Listen. Get this. Because this is exegesis here. This is revelation. This is, you got to really think about it, okay? He knows, and in, he knows how to and intends to perfectly and individually provide for his faithful disciples. How do we see that? With the 4,000, how many baskets were left over? Complete, perfect, perfect provision for them. What do you think they did with the leftovers? They ate it, right? I mean, if he didn't want anything to go to waste, he wouldn't have let there be leftovers. And then when they did the, the, the 5,000, how many baskets were left over? How many disciples were there? So he knows how to individually care for each of us. Seven, he knows how to perfectly and completely take care of us. Twelve, he knows how to each and individually take care of every one of us. I don't know about you, but that blesses me. I know that every day I can believe that God will perfectly take care of me and that he will individually take care of me. Right? Because I'm on his team. Anybody on his team? Let's read the last few verses here. And as we read it, I pray and encourage you, soften your heart. Humble your heart like a child as we read this last part because we're going to take action on it. Are we ready? Then they came to Bethsaida, and some people brought a blind man to Jesus and begged him to touch him. The, taking the blind man by the hand, he led him where? Out of the village. And after spitting on his eyes and laying hands on him, Jesus' methods are often different, he asked him, do you see anything? And he looked up and said, I see people, but they look like trees walking around. In other words, blurry, right? Then Jesus laid his hands on his eyes. So here we go again, right? Touch number two. Here we go. And the man stared intently and his sight was completely restored and he began to see everything clearly. And Jesus sent him to his home saying, do not enter. 
the village. Ready? God often performs the greatest miracles in private. This is one of many occasions when Jesus was to heal somebody. Rather than, sometimes he did it in front of everybody, but other times he took people aside on their own and performed the miracle in private. And sometimes God needs to do some odd things with us. You know, I, I, I don't know if it's because Jesus, I was, I'm about to spit on this dude and it might be embarrassing. I don't know if that's why he took him. I don't know. What I do know is that sometimes God wants to listen. He wants to speak some things and do some things in us. And it, not like be isolated and live isolated. That's totally against the word of God. Disconnected from people. That's what I'm saying. What I am saying is we need private alone time with God for the greatest miracles to happen in us. Okay? Allow Jesus to work on you away from the village, right? Away from the crowd. We refer to this often as the secret place, right? Getting alone. With Jesus. But not only that, it's so important that we understand that sometimes miracles happen progressively as we're simply with Jesus. See, this, this man, Jesus took him away just to be with him. And then he didn't just touch him, but he touched him twice. Right? Sometimes the key is to keep on insisting and letting Jesus touch us again and again and again. Sometimes we need more than one touch, right? Some miracles are one and done. But many miracles require multiple touches. But we have to stay with Jesus what if the man said, well, I see blurry. Thank you, Jesus. Adios. No, he stayed there and let him touch him again. I mean, I don't know if, I mean, he was blind, but he wasn't deaf. I'm sure he heard. <laughs> you know, I mean, some people might have went, I'm blurry and I'm fine. Thank you, Jesus. Right. But he trusted. You know what? I'm going to stay here and let you touch me again. And this time, Jesus laid his hands on his eyes and completely healed him. Now, this is, all of that was great, but here is the main truth from this. The more we are with Jesus, come on, somebody, the more we stay with Jesus, the more clearly we'll see everything. You're not going to see everything clearly by following Jesus for a week, for a month. For a year, for a decade, we've got to stay with Jesus. We have to allow him to keep on speaking to us, keep on spitting on us, keep on touching us, keep on doing whatever he needs to do. And the more we stay with him, the more clearly and more clearly and more clearly we'll begin to see everything. Because Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, right? There's going to be more of this revelation. 
in the next couple of weeks. But I want to bring us today to a point of action. Okay? And I want to ask just for the next few minutes if we could avoid uh, going in and out and all of that. I want to, I just want to, there to be reverence for God's presence and not be distracted. Because if we hear the word of God and then we don't do anything about it, the Bible says we're fools. And I don't want to be a fool and you don't want to be a fool. We need to put action. And that the point that I want to bring to you today to take action on is this. Get alone with Jesus every single day this week, even if it's just for 10 minutes. And I know some of you do this all the time. I know some of, uh, some of you have a great commitment to a devotional life. You spend time every day reading God's word and in prayer and all that. But some of you may not do that or may not do it often. I want to encourage you. Just take time, carve out, even if it's just 10 minutes, to get alone with Jesus this week every day. Maybe it's on your back porch, in your car. If you have screaming kids all the time, in your bathroom, in the park, wherever you have to go, just get alone with him without anybody else just for 10 minutes. Maybe you can do 20 or 30 minutes. But do it every day this week and humble yourself like a child. Come with no agenda, but just to be with him and listen to him and talk to him. Bring your Bible, read, pray, worship, but mainly listen and let him touch you. Listen, he will touch you. He will speak to you. Say, I've never heard Jesus speak to me before. You will this week. Just go get alone with him. Seek him with your heart. He wants to touch you. And then let him touch you again. And let him speak to you again. And if it feels uncomfortable, like he's spitting on you. Whatever, it is, whatever he does, whatever he says, just be humble like a little child. And let him have his way with you. I promise you. And then, and then don't, just, don't just listen and let him touch you. Then do what he shows you to do. I can give you one promise for sure. The eyes of your understanding will open wider. And you will see everything more clearly. How many of us want to see everything more clearly? We need to be with Jesus. <laughs> We need to be with Jesus together, absolutely. The Bible talks a lot about that. But we also need to get alone with him. Just for a moment, if everyone could bow your heads and close your eyes.
before we finish today worshiping Jesus, because he really is in this room. I believe it. I'm counting on it. He said when wherever we come together in his name, he literally is present. He's with us. Thank you so much for tuning in today. I really believe God spoke to you through his word today and is moving in your life. If you'd like more information about Encounter Church or you'd like to give your tithes and offerings, you can visit our website at EncounterChurchAtlanta.org. I'd also like to invite you to share this message on social media. Thanks again.